drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. Episode 34 of Drive-by Cinema. The lockdown podcast where two people review movies so you don't have to see them. I'm Rick and... (laughs) This is the other host, Paul. I'm the other one, yes. Uh, welcome, everybody, uh, to Drive By Cinema. Even people that have been here before, uh, who I probably don't like. But welcome, everybody, yeah. I say through gritted teeth. I'm, I might amplify these <laughs> feelings of alienation, Paul, because I Why? have some listener feedback. Oh, Christ, no. Help. Yes, it's a bad review. Is it, is it, is it real, or is it made up by it's, you? It's real. It's real. It's from listener Adam. I would go so far no, as to... No, no, no. Yeah. Our friend, or your friend, Listener Adam. It's, well, that's a weird sect, aren't we? Brother Adam. You know, Listener Adam. <laughs> I'd go so far as to describe this as a complaint, actually, Paul. Is he terminating friendly relations with us as a result? I don't know about that. We might have got a reprieve. Uh, I did put up a spirited well, defence. Oh, well, he's a clever guy, isn't he? I mean, so. So it was about Heck. episode the episode on his house. Do you remember that episode or even that film? I do remember. Yes, that's the one where they uh, do some wiring for no apparent reason apart from ghosts. Have you not turned your phone off, Paul? Should I put it on? Put it on very very quiet mode. Oh, is that mute? Sorry, let's get back to where we're going. So uh, Adam, our esteemed listener, well, let's see if he's esteemed, but I want to hear what he's got to say for himself, uh, is uh, is complaining about what? About his house. He said that that particular Shit. episode of Drive-By Cinema, we waffled on and on about things that had nothing to do with the film. <laughs> and somehow that sets it apart from any other episode. <laughs> his complaint was that he hadn't learnt anything about the movie, or very little about the movie. Yeah, it's a very movie. fair complaint. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I don't. What you have to consider is it was a really dull movie. There's nothing to talk about. That was my defence. I said that yeah. the thing about his house is it not much happens in it. No, nothing. Well, precisely the dialogue is turgidly slow. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an okay movie, and I it's got some good points to it. But ultimately, two people flee their war-torn country, get a house. It's haunted. That's it. We've just described it. There's no more to say. In the end, they make up and live with the ghosts. Yeah, well, I, I take his point. I mean, I know I had a rant about immigration. That was related, wasn't it? I think it was related, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure I could go all the way to the conclusion when you rode that wave, Richard. I, I would have jumped out that wave at the big O, I think, and you just rode through the curl, didn't you? You know, you rolled through that riptide and, I, whew, you know. What was your final result? We were going to ban self-determination, the right to form countries? I mean, why don't you start going about, well, why do people need houses? Why do we need private accommodation? <laughs> why do we need private cars? Why we... I mean, it's essentially, you're advocating a, a, a return to extreme strict Stalinism, aren't you? Yeah. You're building a straw man out of my position, Paul. I'm not. I'm extending it in a fair way that you're free to refute, Richard. You can't build a straw man if I'm not, if, I, if I'm letting you reply and tell me why I'm not right. Any, li- anyway, listen. 30-odd episodes in and we get our first bad review. That's not bad going. Well, we're sorry, Adam. Uh, I think we're doing okay on the balance of uh, probabilities. So yeah. Well, Adam's not going to like the next five minutes because I've got lots of crap to talk about that's not particularly relevant. Is that okay? okay. Here we go. I think we talked about... Well, you talked about uh, essentially changing 
the whole world to a new world order. Well, fair enough. I talked about furlough. And uh, I'd like to thank the viewers for the notes they sent me. Uh, the bricks that came attached, I will be uh, building a wall with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not. I wasn't suggesting we get rid of all support. I was suggesting we have similar levels of support, but distributed more equitably. I realised that my notes about the show that accompany the download were clickbaity yeah. by describing you as wanting to abolish all furlough from. <laughs> From your gentleman's oh. club styled chest, leather Chesterfield armchair. But you were making a, ne- a nuanced point, Paul, to give you your due. Thank you. You were thank saying you. that it is unfair that people get this, the amount of money that they were getting beforehand for no good reason other than they just no have to be reason. getting it beforehand. I think that's an interesting point. I called it feudal, and you said, is it really feudal? Yes, it is. I think here. I mean, this is the problem with English language, isn't it? Adjectives. If I say something's feudal, I can mean it is feudal, i.e. it pertains to historical attributes we used to call feudalism. Or it is like it is feudal. I mean, but I think if we wanted to be more specific and not have an attribution error to which kind of adjective, adjectival description am I making when I say feudal, you could say the word feudalist to say, no, I mean strictly feudal. And feudal, therefore, can mean strictly feudal or non-strictly feudal, feudal-like. We do it with the word child. We do childish, childlike, childly, childy. We don't do childy, do we? But I think the British language just needs to tighten up with its use of adjective. Infantile. Yeah, but that doesn't start with child, does it? Oh, right. Sorry, I didn't... Yeah, I got the wrong end of the stick there, as usual. No, you didn't. You were just... Being I was, I was helping. Okay, you were helping. So, <laughs> okay, I, I think it was obvious that I meant that there should be some other more equitable form of support. All right, universal basic income. Okay, I have one more correction to make. Oh yes, when Richard was going off on his hold on, I won't... <laughs> is this about me? Are you correcting me? I'm correcting myself. I'm I'm contextualising here, Richard. When Richard was going off on his rant about how he wanted the world to be and how anybody else's wish for the world was not as relevant. Well done, Richard. Okay. I said, thank you for Wilson Pickett and uh, that rendition of What's So Fun About Love, Peace and Understanding. (laughs) Wilson, I meant, you know, the daughters of the Beach Boys. And their name isn't Wilson Pickett. It's Wilson Phillips. Oh, you've got egg on your face, Paul. That's embarrassing. I prefer Tiffany always. I think we're alone now. God, yeah, she's really good. I mean, looking back to that, I think she's even better than Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling. Oh, what a really feeling. amazing! What Just is happening? Fabulous here? song, Tiffany. Something's going on. It's not quite clear. Oh yeah, I know. Somebody turn yeah, well, dancing the on the ceiling. <laughs> we're going to have a party. Then the engineer comes at the end, or the engineer says, oh my God, I wish I'd eaten that upside down cake. There's funny dialogue at the end and everything. It's like a movie. It's incredible. Speaking of music, is it time for the sting music that takes us into the It is. The Let's get on there before, Ad- before Adam gets angry. Okay. Away we go. Do you hear the music in your head now when we do that pause? Which I, I don't know why we do that, yes. pause, because we could edit in a space of time, but we do. We could do, yeah. 
does the, does the does the space we leave is it right for is it the right length usually, Richard? Oh, yeah, pretty much exactly. Actually, it it wow. runs to just about the right sort of number of bars, the right phrase in the in the tune. I I did like a inset training day for a job about six or seven years ago, where we had to count a minute in our heads, right. and then like time against a real minute. And of course, you know, pretty much everybody's in there, fifty five, sixty five, seventy seconds, or whatever. And then, and then, and then she had a people who were late for the meeting stand up <laughs> and uh, compared their times with how late they were with the meeting. Were you one of those people yeah. standing? <laughs> yeah, but only because I stopped for a Starbucks and they were just, it was like, it was a Saturday morning, you know, and we were getting paid double time to go for the meeting, which is good. But, it, you know, it took, I took a subway there and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh, I'll just get a Starbucks. And who knew if you were the first in the queue and a Starbucks is just opening up, you have to wait 15 minutes to get your uh, iced latte or whatever. So. But yes, I was I was one of the people that was late. Oh dear. And how did you do on the guessing the, the minute game? 63 seconds, I think. I remember because I was stood up and humiliated. Yeah, so. Humans are really good at that though, aren't they? They're they are good at it. Well, that's because our heart... We, we take a cue from a heartbeat, you see. Right. Which is about a second. Okay. That makes some sense. So you're saying if you're exercising hard, your judgment of seconds is um, affected? There might be a PhD there, I'm not sure. Excellent. Off you go, Richard. Off you go to the University of Central Lancashire. Get yourself funded for that one. What's the signal all about? Oh, 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 we're talking about this movie. Okay, Adam Wilby, please. Look, okay, the signal is uh, one of those movies about uh, what we call science fiction. You wouldn't know that, though, would you? In fact... It's really a spoiler to say that it's science fiction, which is odd because it is in the science fiction category. But for the vast majority of the movie, it's just, uh, you know, three teenagers uh, driving and it's like on a road movie, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah, I noticed this. I think there's a real change in just almost the genre of the movie. I would say it's pretty scary horror or it's, it's suspenseful horror for the first half. Yeah. To the extent that, you know, they end up in a, in a deserted house in the desert at night and they go exploring it. And then after that, it's kind of like psychological thriller, perhaps. Yeah. With a bit of action hero stuff. It kind of becomes quite action hero-y as well. Or a bit Tom Cruise-y sort of Mission Impossible. It only really becomes science fiction in the last five minutes of the movie, I think. On true, 30 seconds true, 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 true. Yeah. So hard to categorise, I think. I'm feeling that we probably need to explain the outline of the plot. So, yeah, this movie starts... What's it all about? So, it's college students at MIT, I think they mentioned it, don't they? They are at MIT, three very talented people. Two of them are definitely techs. Yes. Possibly on a computer studies course or some such. Now, one of them, his girlfriend, is moving to Caltech, certainly to the West Coast anyway. Uh, for a year or more, yes. possibly. And in as much as he is somehow progressively, degeneratively, like there's some degenerative disease, he's becoming, he's, he's hobbling around with... Uh, he's got with, crutches, uh, yeah. With certainly. crutches. In as much as he feels a burden, I think we're supposed to suspect that he's using this road trip to kind of say goodbye to her. Yeah, he feels that he's burdening her with, with his lack of physical bounciness. So they're driving clean across the US, which is a heck of an undertaking, really, isn't it? Well done, yeah. They're going to drop his girlfriend off. But on the way, he and his best mate are 
using their laptops to do some recreational hacking. Something like yeah. that. I think they've been in some kind of online dispute, like most online forums end up in, with someone else. That seems to be the idea. And there's another sort of hacker that they're trying to get back at. I think that's the plot, roughly speaking. No, so let's stop here for a second. Okay. So, like, let's say I'm not always on a VPN. Then you can see my IP address. That's true. But isn't that a rather large area? The the area IP or no? Isn't it what? Does it, it doesn't go to the nodes though, does it? Because your node is aside according to how busy the local area network is, isn't it, or whatever. I mean, it's a long time since I studied this, so I can't remember. Uh, well, let me let me explain then. So IPv4, which is how the internet started out, I suppose, really. Is the as a transport layer? It's the dotted seven quad, layers. The dotted quad notation. So it's like one nine two dot one six eight. Yes, yeah, yeah. When they designed the system, they thought that that would be plenty. You know, in an era where you know every university had a computer, <laughs> and they imagined that maybe every company and every university might have a couple. That seemed more than ample for... Sure, it's like 2,000 barcodes, you know. I mean, what supermarket had more than 2,000 products, can it? (laughs) However, of course, we've long since run out because now, you know, every person's phone and watch and uh, toaster and refrigerator also has its own IP address. Thank you, Java. They long since ran out of uh, internet addresses on the IPv4 format. So what you do is... You divide the network up into uh, like different subnetworks, and yeah. you hide some of the subnetworks behind kind of an alias sort of top level address. So yeah. it's, it's a bit like living in an apartment block, where you know, I see you have a, an address on the street, and then within the apartment block you have a number. Now the only difference is outside of the street address, as it were, the postman doesn't know your apartment. So he just brings it along and it presumably has some other code on it. And then someone in your apartment block then goes and takes the letter to your particular uh, cubbyhole. But the cubbyholes switch according to you. They do. That's right. Yes, because it's all dynamically assigned. In IPv4, it's completely plausible that a hacker could find your external IP address. Which would be what? A part of a town? Or a town, maybe? No, it could be... The IP address could indeed be your router. Now, that might, as you say, be dynamically assigned, but often they're not. Or often, uh-huh. over a period, they may stay the same. And furthermore, yeah. Google has been doing a lot of work matching people's IP addresses against the Wi-Fi networks they can see in their local area. So when you turn your computer on... Is that for advertising dollar purposes? Almost certainly. But... It, it's also to give another mechanism for doing location data. I know, but I, well, I don't care. Well, that's a good reason. But in terms of the bad reasons, I, I prefer nefarious advertising money-making to other, other reasons they might be doing it, is all I'm going to say. But I think it's generally true that what you'd probably find if you trace someone's IPv4 address is you'd probably find the address of their ISP. And it would say... Right, in know, most circumstances. Yeah, it might say connecting to, you know, a, 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 an infrastructure centre in Manchester, say, owned yeah. by whatever your IP, you know, Virgin or whatever. Uh, so, however, IPv6 is the new replacement. 
And that has got sufficient space to give every device on Earth several times over an IP address of its own. And that often doesn't wow. necessarily change frequently. So you could conceivably, if you have a way of discovering what their IP address is, which is a bit trickier, I think, in IPv6, but you could conceivably localize that with some extra data. So I mean, technically you could theoretically find somebody's IP, IP address, maybe, through those kind of methods, yeah. Yeah, it's not totally unthinkable. So what they do on their road trip is they're on their laptops in the backseat of the car kind of thing, and they're tracking down this hacker whose hacker alias is Nomad. Nomad, yeah. And they work out that he's somewhere near Las Vegas, in the outskirts, as we see. Viva Las Vegas! Except when we get there, he's not like in the bright lights of Big City. No, no. There we go. And they're going to have to detour, but I think they... Either don't tell her or they persuade his girlfriend that they're going to just hop off there and see this place. So they wind up on this... This is where a very weak part of the movie, isn't it? I'm not really sure what beef they have with Nomad or what he's done. The fact that he's hacked them and they're giving a bit of trash talk to and fro. I, I assume this is reconstructing what is seen as, you know, the otaku personality of, of internet enthusiasts, isn't it? And they track him down... Down this dirt road uh, in the middle of the desert, presumably in Nevada, to this shack, this rundown shack, which doesn't seem to have any lights on or anything. And it's late, it's, it's night time when they get there, and they decide that the smart thing to do is get out of their car and go and have a look. Leaving the, leaving the bird in the car kind of thing. Ah, oh, she's leave the lady in the car. She's no good for exploring haunted houses, is she? So this is easily the most tense moment. And up until now, we've had a little bit of team. It was scary. I couldn't watch bits of it. I was peeping through my fingers at times. They go into this rundown shack and they have a poke around. I think they see there might have been like... Did they say there were some server racks there? And someone... As if someone... How did they find out where he was? I've forgotten now. Through hacking. It's a bit clever. Through hacking. Oh, there was some clever way they did it, though. Like it was, it was. There was an exposition, a brief exposition about how they how they hacked it. I thought it was quite good. So at this point, I'm thinking, well, this is quite a good sort of IT movie. Okay, there are some big bang misrepresentations of otaku kind of solitary, but not so solitary in threes kind of IT people that are accurate and who cares. But I thought, well, it's quite interesting, you know, the, the computer science of it all and, and the storyline. I said it didn't really continue this way, did it, at this point? No, this because... is the point where the whole film shifts, shifts tone completely. In fact, you get a very scary horror moment, don't you, here, where... Yeah, it is scary. As they run out, I think the hero is screaming, they run out of the shack. She's not in the car. You see, at some point in the darkness, a person being hoisted in the air by something unseen. <laughs> Obviously her, Yeah, yeah. And that's it. I think they're they're all abducted by what we presume to be aliens. Was there some reference to Area 51 at some point? I think that's where they... Because we're in Nevada, of course. Well, it becomes explicit later, doesn't it? It does, yes, yeah. Through a very, very, very complex form of uh, cryptography. (laughs) A real real cipher that's difficult to break. (laughs) Hadn't told me, I would never have got it. Yeah, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. But then again, the hacker's name, Nomad, is more incredible ciphers going on. <laughs> yeah. 
Up until now, though, this has just been a road movie of these kids right on the road, stopping in hotels. Good, a good road movie, and you know. But why? Like I say, for all the big bangisms, you know, a fairly accurate representation of young people who are techie, who actually aren't that antisocial, doing things. You know, I, I wish he was more confident in himself. I mean, why does he want to split up with her just because he's a bit of a cripple? I mean, why? Well, I, I mean, think he also realizes that a long distance relationship from California to MIT isn't going to yeah, work. But, but I think it's very explicit that the reason is because he thinks, like, oh, I'm not physically mobile enough for it. I mean, what? Why? I mean, he's got an MIT brain. Yeah, he could make a robot chair, couldn't he, or something? If it, one criticism, I mean, the hazel eyes would have preferred blue eyes on him, kind of thing, you know. But, oh, I see. That's the level we're at. Contact lenses? The, your legs are your legs. There's no changing a degenerative disease, is there? Why is it, he's called Nick, isn't he, and his girlfriend's called Haley. why is it yeah. that he's always, he's seen getting coffees on several occasions, he's trying to prove that he can do it, but he's trying to get, like, three coffees through a doorway with crutches, <laughs> and he, dro- he drops them all, obviously. <laughs> I don't remember that, but, wow, yeah. He's got a complex, doesn't he, poor thing? I think so, yeah. And when they figure out where Nomad is... They say, hey, it's not far away. It's only 180 miles. 180 miles is like the length of our entire country, basically. <laughs> well, this is Americans don't say how far they're driving. They're saying how long they're driving, don't they? Uh, well, this is the old saying, isn't it? That's to, mm. Is it true? To Europeans, 100 miles is a long way, and to Americans, 100 years is a long time. Yeah. They think nothing of it, do they? They drive huge distances at the drop of a hat. So I guess that's perfectly realistic. Yeah. So where were we? Oh, so we're at the bit where they've uh, something supernatural, presumably, or something like that, has has whisked their girlfriend away, and then they get beaten up by it. Or no, we, what happens, what happens next they, they is pass out. Nick Nick wakes up uh, in like a hospital bed, doesn't he? As if he's been, right. and he's being kept apparently in this facility and all of the staff are wearing biohazard suits with you know full helmets on and uh, respirators and breathing equipment and so on as if he yeah. might be contagious or contaminated with something and very quickly he meets Lawrence Fishburne who's play- so I was going to say I was going to say we saw another movie where somebody was in a prison hospital under the care of a Essentially, uh, iRobots. That kept- yeah, and that was Infinity Chamber, wasn't it? Infinity Chamber, where they can speak to the other, other, the other inmates through a grill in the in the wall. This happens again, well, doesn't it? Yeah, this happens again, doesn't it? You know, they, he somehow manages to to contact the other guy that uh, stupidly went to explore a deserted shack in the desert with him. So I'm just saying, there's there's a parallel there. You're right. Yeah, but anyway, we meet the superstar, the actor. What? Sorry, what's his name again? Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne. He was a big star, yeah. Indeed. Now, very quickly, one things one of the things you see happening is they give him a lie detector test. He gets wired up to a polygraph. Yeah. Did you see that? It was a brief scene. No, you don't remember. I, and it just made me think, though, um, polygraphs are a, a trigger... What a nonsense. A, a trigger warning issue for me, yeah. They are a nonsense, that's right, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that. I don't have to persuade you that they're nonsense. Do you not think in some certain circumstances there might be a 0.3, 0.4 correlation? Okay, so... Or is it just nonsense all the time for you? So you're saying 
that you, there might be a weak correlation between the ability to correctly identify whether someone is being deceitful. Yet, there is also a weak correlation between just being able to tell whether someone's lying to you without a polygraph strapped to them. True. And a polygraph exam is conducted by a, inverted commas, qualified polygraph examiner who's been on some kind of six-week correspondence course and after that is deemed to be an expert in you know human psychology of all kinds and can tell when people are lying. It's down to the polygraph examiner looking at the wiggles on this, the piece of paper to determine whether or not he thinks there's been deception in this instance. Wow. So you should think of a polygraph exam very much as a kind of coerced interrogation. Polygraph exams are more common, I think, in the States. I don't know whether it's still true, but it was certainly true that to get employed in certain jobs, usually in the security or government-related services, you had to pass a polygraph test or you would, a polygraph test would be administered during your interview process. What kind of questions? Like Jerry McHale questions? Like- uh, questions such as, you know, have you ever taken illegal drugs? Say, that kind of thing. And there may be others, of course. If you're going to be working for the CIA, you know, they'll obviously want to know about connections with possible insurrectionists and communists, etc., aren't they? Right. Let me just say, the important thing about polygraphs is this. You should protest and make a fuss about them all the time because they are nonsense. They're dangerous nonsense. Because the point where someone asks you to take a polygraph test is the point where it's far, far too late to tell people that you think they're bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if you're innocent, the only thing that you can do with a polygraph test is incriminate yourself. I mean, I suppose you might assume if you're innocent and you pass it, that's a good thing. But ultimately, someone could point out that they're bullshit. And, you know, but the point that you fail, you're kind of fucked, aren't you? Like the poor people on Jeremy Kyle, one of whom ended up committing suicide, didn't he? Famously so. One of the things about a polygraph test, of course, is like in that interview situation that I was talking about, there's there's a couple of different kind of questions that they ask. Uh, one of them, of course, would be, are you a Russian spy? Clearly, they're trying to figure out whether you're genuinely trying to deceive them. To do that, they need to figure out what your trace would look like if you were lying. This is the theory. The baseline, isn't it? They call well. They could ask you your name, right? And you would say Paul, and they'll see, okay. But that's a different emotional error, isn't that's it? Right. Brain, that's right, that's right. So, but they'll see on that, ah, oh, well, that's a completely neutral question. They could say, could you lie to this ne- next question? What's your name? And you go, oh, Chris. And you and the examiner both know that you're lying. There's no stakes here. So again, there's going to be a completely different trace. So there's a clever kind of question that I ask where they assume everyone is going to lie. And one of those is, have you ever done illegal drugs, say? Hmm. Now, I have never done illegal drugs. <laughs> so what do I do in a polygraph exam? To make... You say yes. Because otherwise... They assume you're telling the truth. I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you're lying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. There's no... You, I mean, you're, you're fucked Richard, basically. Here's another thing about the polygraph exam. A polygraph examiner will ask before... He'll ask all the questions, actually, before he straps you in. But yeah. one of the things that he will ask you is, have you ever looked at or studied any 
countermeasures for polygraphs? You know, have you looked at a website? Blah, blah, blah. And if you say yes to that question, the polygraph examiner is almost certainly going to qualify the entire examination. They won't pass you. They'll say, they may not say deception indicated, but they will certainly say, you know, we can't, you know. Which is a big indication, by the way, that it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, as wow. soon as you admit that you know that there are countermeasures, that's it. You know, you your test is nullified. <laughs> so again, you know, if you were actually going for a job for something that required a polygraph exam, first of all, if they ask you, do you know any countermeasures, you say no. And second of all, to pass, you really ought to employ countermeasures to make sure that you pass. Otherwise, an inadvertent emotional response or a bit of stress during the, the meeting might might get you to uh, have a deception-indicated result. But really, all it measures is, is some sort of neurological stress, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. It That's all it's doing. Physiological it stress. Yeah. Oh, physiological stress. Yeah, so it's measuring your heart rate, your breathing, and your galvanic skin response, which is is that it? Changed by sweating. Well, the more sophisticated ones do extra things like they they you sit on a special pad that detects muscle contractions because one countermeasure one countermeasure is to squeeze your ass. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> I've got the interview next week. It's to squeeze your ass. Yeah, like uh tense your anus, your anus on the control questions. Uh, and, uh, so that you get this stress response is indicated ah. physiologically. Um, and then they won't be able to tell the control questions from any other questions where you may or may not be telling the truth. This is rather like passing through uh, airport security when you're, when you're carrying something. Contraband. Like contraband. And you're trying not to sweat and look around kind of thing, isn't it? You know? Well, there are yeah. similar principles for, for getting through these things, aren't there? Well, it's very similar in the sense that even if you're innocent, you can be stressed by the experience, can't you? Of being scrutinised yeah. and thinking... I've got one friend and, like, he dresses in a long leather coat and, like, a big kind of camo pants and, and white face. Army, boot, and army boots. Eyeliner? Guyliner? And... Maybe, perhaps. A fingerless, yeah. and he's fingerless like, glove. He's got long metal hair, but he's a balding on top. So he essentially looks like some sort of habitual user of recreation. <laughs> and uh, he, he just always gets stopped. And of course, it, he's stressed out by the fact that he's going to get stopped. So he's more stressed. So he looks like the kind of person that's looking around over his shoulder and, and looks a little bit guilty. That makes him get stopped even more kind of thing. So, so there, I think there's quite similar principles in, in that if you know how to relax through it, then you're going to get through, aren't you? Potentially, yep. Unless you've got a really bad polygraph examiner, of course, which is the other problem. But you said airport security, you just bring three kids along with you. <laughs> you can't do that in the polygraph exam, can you? Not that I'm speaking for experience. <laughs> I didn't carry any expensive leather suitcases through full of... That's the other thing, expensive suitcases. Kids dressed up like in very fashionable, expensive clothes. Oh wow! Like clothes, expensive tracksuits. Two things. Well, yeah, but you know, like the kind of clothes that kids, that people never buy for their kids in airports. You know, the expensive Gap stuff for kids and that kind of stuff. Huh. You know, like they're dressed out to go to Disneyland for a day. Uh, those two things apparently will just get you through. You know, expensive luggage, posh kids in tow. 
like like your kids go to private school kind of look, but are off school and in their day wear. Those two things tend to just get you through the line. But it's not cheap to put on that performance, you see. So most smugglers don't go to, to that kind of that kind of trouble, do they? Well, in the UK, we're pretty lucky because there's not much polygraphy going on, fortunately. But the government have been using it in sex offenders who are undergoing treatment, mandatory kind of treatment, to ask the offenders who are supposedly recovered about... If they still want to bang people they shouldn't want to bang. Exactly, exactly. Which is troubling. I tell you, though, I think they've been trialling the use of polygraphs for terrorist people. I think think it may be related. You know that guy who got released and then was at that kind of... That tolerant and understanding kind of conference, and then stabbed people in the street. Oh, he killed the the guys. The he killed the guy with the with the with the knife, and somebody hit him with a dolphin nose or something. The narwhal tusk. Yes, you couldn't you couldn't <laughs> make this stuff up, could you? <laughs> you could not make that up, no. But so we're laughing at the narwhal, not the circumstances. I, I've got a feeling that one of the government responses to that was to propose using lie detector tests on. Offenders before they were released for terrorism charges too. Now, how do you feel about this? Okay, they've already been prosecuted not using a lie detector. Are you less averse to this being done once they've been found guilty by other means? Or are you still very opposed? I think all uses of the polygraph tests are very dangerous. If there is a general attitude or feeling in the community or the public at large that lie detectors work, then, well, you're in a dangerous situation, right? Someone passes a lie detector and you now trust them. Yeah, and someone fails a lie detector, and that's definitely they're definitely guilty. Obviously, there's a false positive and a false negative rate, and it may be unacceptably high. And I think it is unacceptably high if people think it's infallible. That's then a really yeah. dangerous thing. I mean, some people would say, uh, and this is the closest I'll come to thinking it's okay, is people do confess when they're threatened with being put on a polygraph, and this is called the bogus pipeline effect. I've heard the bogus pipeline effect does encourage offenders to confess where perhaps the assertion is otherwise they would not have done. But here's the thing. All you're doing there is saying we're going to catch the dumb ones and anybody who knows that polygraphs don't work is going to evade us undetectably and we're going to trust them far more than we otherwise would. Better, surely, not to use the fucking things and and just rely on science-based techniques if you want. Anyway, sorry, where were we? Oh, in the middle of a movie. Yes. Okay. So he's he's in hospital. He's under surveillance. Uh, he's he's some sort of threat. He's been, might infect everybody with what we don't yet know. Uh, his mates are in the next room. We didn't, he doesn't know, know where how. they are initially, does he? But he eventually starts oh. talking to his best friend. Through the grates. And he sees, at one point, he's being wheeled through in a wheelchair, and he sees his girlfriend, apparently in a coma, in another room, doesn't he? So he knows that they're all in this facility. And he sees a decontamination zone on the way out kind of thing, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's he's observing things, isn't he? He's counting. He's he's a clever fellow. He's from MIT, isn't he? But then he sees his legs. Yeah. You don't remember this bit? (laughs) Anyway, so he's worked out where the airlock is. And he's, he's worked out a way to get through there. But then you're right, he discovers his, his legs. And they have been replaced with some with kind of robot leg thing. 
prosthetic legs. Some it's not wet wear, is it? What is it? It's well, it looks completely alien. I think is the word, isn't it? It's extreme. So kind of alien wet wear, alien wear, and Lawrence Fishburne, but not the company that makes those really colourful computers. Lawrence Fishburne seems to think, or seems to be implying, that that's one of the reasons he's in this facility is that they've discovered that he's got these legs stuck on him, and that, that presumably they don't know what they are. But it's it's well, it's melded into his flesh, isn't it? You say it's not wet wear, but you see bits of it going directly into his his leggy stumps. And there's hints that his friend might have something wrong with his hands or arms because he says something about not being able to feel them as well. So how does he get out the airlock? What does he do? Something clever. He, he pushes a button and no door opens. He <laughs> he is that right? Well, he gets a bunch of stuff together, doesn't he? He gets like tubes for that. From his drip and a bunch of stuff like that. It's kind of like a heist movie, isn't it? He, yeah. Because he's counted like how long it takes for the guards to get from door to door. And, and and so he knows, using the techniques you were describing for figuring out how long a minute is, I suppose. He's figured out how far it is and how many doors down. And so he knows where to go and how to, to do stuff to get out through the airlock doors. So, you know, he, he like throws something so the door doesn't close, doesn't he? And chases after the, the closing door. Rather improbably, he manages to get his girlfriend's bed trolley thing and tow it with him through the through, <laughs> through the facility. Oh, that was before he was using his legs, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Because they capture him after the first attempts. Yeah. He figures out how to use his legs. And he starts... Uh, and that's how he eventually gets out, isn't it? <laughs> So he escapes, they escape, everybody escapes somehow, and they're out, and then it becomes an incredible kind of like hijacking trucks movie. Yeah, now they're on the run, aren't they? And they're trying to get away yeah, from this on the place. run. So we, it's pit stops and, and uh, gas stations and uh, that kind of thing where they, they hijack a truck, is it? And they hijack it. I mean, that's it. Really. And meanwhile, Damon, the Lawrence Fishburne character, is trying to track them down. He's following them. And he's meeting people that they have met in the villages and stuff, and presumably they're in Nevada. And quite often he's just killing those people. So is it Terminator 2 that it resembles? Or? It's elements of that, isn't it? But it's certainly a, yeah. a manhunt that's going on. No place for old men, is it? No country for is that old a movie? men. Yeah, those two kind of... I was reminded of those two movies because... Of well, it's the landscape, isn't it? And the landscape plays a big part for them because Nick and his girlfriend discover that there is a canyon and they can't get past the canyon. Like, the, ro- the, like the bridge doesn't go across it. it the bridge is down. Also, the, everybody they've met is really, really weird. Really weird, yes. Yeah. That's why I m- mentioned the angels, because the weird, uh, the weird lady that picks them up is obviously some sort of born-again Christian. And uh, she's looking up in the skies and saying she can see the angels. Well, that's, that's foreshadowing, isn't it? Or foreloading, we assume, uh, or she, <laughs> we assume we assume that uh, she's talking about the, the the scary things that appeared beforehand. That's why I think I've got this comment down about well, angels in the Bible would have been scary if they were just described. Yes. Anyway, they they hijack a truck. They get in this lady's car, and and they're they evade. Well, they also meet his friend. His friend has escaped independently. How do you do that? It's not revealed, is it? We don't know. But he is shown to have two robot hands or arms. Nice. And the thing about these robot legs and the robot hands is that they seem to give them like superpowers. 
so that Nick is able to kick things really hard, which is partly how he escapes. And he later discovers he's also able to run really fast. Progressively discovers that he's able to run very fast. He, I think he progressively discovers it's down to his willpower and his mind. You know, if he thinks he can run faster, he can run They kind of switch on, they power up, don't they? They start glowing and flames come out of them and kind of stuff. But his his friend with the robot hands is a bit less impressed because although he can punch things quite well, he's finding it difficult to type, which for an MIT hacker is probably a bit annoying, isn't it? Yeah, that is a bit annoying. But, you know, the aliens probably have another way of using computers. It doesn't involve a QWERTY keyboard. But at what point did they realise there were aliens? Ah, only Nick discovers this at the very end, doesn't he? Oh, they're kind of in the dark until the end, yeah. That's right, because... Until Nobad turns up. Ah, well, it's Damon, isn't it, he turns up. It's Damon, because guess what? Nomad is Damon backwards. (laughs) Who could have have broken that that cipher? Yeah, Nick Nick notices this. Nobody from MIT, anyway. Yeah, he sees it written on his uh, biohazard suit, doesn't he? He gets really annoyed at this point, Nick. I think his friend is dead, maybe, after they have a daring escape at a checkpoint or a... It's like a border crossing style. They do, they punch... They punch the bollard over. That's right, they raise with, the bollard at this checkpoint. With their robot hands. And his friend uses his robot hands to let them escape. But I think ah. he's basically... I think they fire a grenade at him, don't they? So they he, oh, he sacrifices himself in the process. Oh, well, we'll build a senate after him. Look, yeah, so there's a massive face-off in a disused factory and Damon Nobad peels off his latex mask and reveals himself to be an alien. Is that not it's right? It's not a disused factory. You've got that confused. It's out. They have a what they have a standoff out in the desert. I can't remember what's what happened. Something it? may have happened to his girlfriend. I'm not quite sure about that. But then Nick decides to run for it and he goes right ac- across this bridge that they were blockading. He keeps on running and he crashes through the dome that it's revealed that they are inside, like that's like right. the Truman Show or something more original. They're inside. They're in, they're in a augmented virtual reality that, again, rather like what's that movie we watched with the with the Valerian? Valerian. They've chosen to have a virtual world which has a physical geography. <laughs> yeah, but that's because they're clever. It turns out that, clever. Well, he finds himself. In space, hey, I know. doesn't he? We could actually confine this guy in a virtual world with you know, a helmet on his head. You won't ever know if you get out of it, yeah? Because he's in it, yeah? No, let's not do that. Let's spend a huge fortune to build like this massive pleasure dome to keep him in. Yeah, we're talking 15,000 acres wide. Yeah, uh, just a few billion pounds to build. Yeah, let's put him in that instead. And guess what? Let's have a rule where if he runs fast enough, he can break out of his uh, this reality <laughs> and see uh, and smash through the glass, yeah? That doesn't exist, and see it for as it really is. What on earth does any of that make sense, Richard? Well, this is a problem. It's it's a from a from a logistical let's plan a altered reality to make this man labour under. It's not clear what the robot alien alien robots are doing, is it? Really, they've got this giant dome with a very faithful recreation of a bit of Nevada in it. And they've got like a zoo of other people they presumably abducted. Which is why all the people they meet are acting so weird. Yes. Yeah. Because they're not real people, are they? No, they are real people, aren't they? Oh, but they've been... I think they've been abducted and... Bill Gates is a microchip. They've been stuck there 
Well, we've all been microchipped now, haven't we? Hey? Now, all those kids... We'll find out what Bill's up to very soon. All those kids were given, like, alien tech. Like, the girl's got things in her spine. It's never revealed what that, what that does. What was the weird, weird Christian lady driving the car given? Well, I don't know. You see, why were they there? Apart from the ability to see angels. Why were they there? It's not clear. It's not clear why they had... They had other people they seemingly hadn't experimented on. Or they had and it had gone wrong and they were just keeping them around until they end up killing them. Or were they all in or there? Or they were all security guards hmm. playing parts. They knew they were playing parts to keep the three people they wanted to keep in inside the alternate perception of reality. It's all a bit muddled, really. It is a bit muddled. Damon reveals himself, as he says. He takes his hazmat suit off and reveals that he's just a face that you were seeing through the faceplate. And there's nothing behind his face but a robot kind of brain. But are we to assume wow. that they couldn't be asked to making a full human head? Um, so they just put them all in hazmat suits. Well, they spent it all the dome, hadn't they? <laughs> anyway, so he breaks through the glass that might not be real glass, or it might not be the edge of the glass dome, but let's say subliminal indicated he's broken through to the real side of the other side kind of thing. And then we see, like, an alien world suspended and hanging in space. On the other side of the projector dome, when he smashes through, he's in, as you say, a space between that projector dome and there's a glass dome, I think, so you can see all the stars. I don't know why you would want that. So why why would they make, if they're not in Area 51 in Nevada, yes. Area 51 is a copy of the Area 51 that they're actually on, or this is a copy of Nevada, so that if anybody happened to bring along Google Maps <laughs> and could compare it, actually, no, it's a bit different to what, what Area 51 in Nevada looks like, you know. I mean, how would, why does it have to be the same as... The place that they think they might be at. Why does it have to be I there mean, at all? Take, I mean, presumably. Why, they'll take their phones off them. You know, they can't look at Google Maps. What are they going to compare it to? They can compare it to the it's map. Stupid. The map in the visitor centre that they faithfully copied. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is different from the map they put in there. I mean, so that is just, this is the biggest non sequitur for me really so how could so, how could aliens be so stupid maybe maybe they've steps? abducted that entire area of nevada maybe it's not a copy maybe they've just scooped it oh. up or maybe like the, it's a different dimension zone kind of thing oh. it's like we're still they're still there you think people are just that see. weird in nevada could be yeah oh yeah but no, they actually haven't moved but actually there's another dimension where the spaceship resides that we can't sense oh. kind of thing Okay, I can accept that. But then why would time and space be the same there? It's baffling. Weird. Really. But, yeah, so he reveals it all by running really fast. Well done. It's like, like, what's happening? He used to be the $6 million man. Then became $6 billion man. They've obviously spent trillions on this guy. <laughs> and yet all he can do is run fast. Yeah, but it's alien billion, money, Paul. You can't spend it here. There's no exchange. Oh, okay. No exchange will take it. There's obviously some alien gravy train going on here, you know, because for six billion, we got a pretty good billion dollar man, didn't we? We have to do the scores, Paul. So what happened in the end? He saw the alien world and that was it. he destroyed it. It's a big it, reveal, isn't it? it? That's it. Oh. oh, so there's a sequel coming where he blows it all up. Okay. I think the conclusion we're supposed to come to is that the aliens are trying to build some kind of hybrid human-alien tech beings. Yes. Yeah. And the, in terms of the world, they've docked onto our dimension. But in their dimension, their spaceship is floating around Area 51. Like, that's like something like that. I think at some point, Nomad says it's a fusion of alien technology and human spirit or something. 
It's got that classic spirit. Maybe these robot aliens don't have the kind of spirit needed to walk around in robot legs. I don't know. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? Scores. So let's talk about acting. Oh, Brenton Thwaites. That's, that's Nick, isn't it? Hazel eyes. Mistake, I think. Mistake. So you're going to judge on the physical appearance of the lead actor. Aren't you? <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Nomad was Damon. But the other thing was, how do they work out the Renamer 51? Because they had, they had their barcodes tattooed on their skin, uh, which was 23541. When you add that up, you get 51. Uh, numerology. There you go. And that's how you get into MIT. <laughs> Just an MIT postgrad test, wasn't it, I think? Also, they use the phrase EBE. E.T., biological entity. Extraterrestrial biological entity, yeah. That's it. I was very impressed. I'd never heard that before. Although they don't seem to be biological, do they? They seem to be more machine. More machine than being. Yes. Unless it's silicon biology. I'm going to say that the acting in this is pretty good. High standard. Lawrence Fishburne is Yeah, decent. first off was scary. So I will give it a solid seven. Do you know, I scored it seven too. How weird. Amazing. Oh, wow. I think I like great minds. How about the science, then? I, I scored it seven. Yeah, I think we've talked about the weirdnesses here and the hand waviness. Prosthetics are getting better and better, aren't they? Look at uh, sprinters and their running blades. Are they not yeah. getting toward being able to beat or exceed human athletes in some respects? Obviously, yeah. But I was, I was watching one guy. He, he's, he was the ex-Marine or something. So, he, you know, he had two amputations. And so he's got two of them. And then he fell over in the park because it was wet. So I think with one, it's quite easy. But with two, if you're not on a running track, it's not, or you're not on like soft grass where you can impact and make nice contact with turf. You're not in those, either of those two situations, then it's not a reliable, stable form of uh, propulsion. But we're not far off a situation where having a prosthetic will be an advantage in some of these uh, disciplines. I know. In summary, for science, I will give it a seven. Sorry, for science, a seven, yeah. Seven, yeah, yeah. It's just like I said, I didn't really agree with the idea of a virtual or augmented reality needing to have so much physical space. And why would you put it in a glass dome? Yeah, unless Tina Turner was singing, you know. <laughs> All right, let's do a horror score then, because it is also a horror movie. Oh, I was going to SFX. Oh, okay, that's, SFX is fine. I mean, the SFX was pretty good, right? The the legs are quite effective. Uh, let's put the scare, SFX and scare yeah. together. All right. I scored it eight. Yes. The scary bit is scary. The leg bits are... The shiny metal bits are impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's all great. Yeah. I'll give it an eight as well. I don't. I can't disagree so, with you on any what, of this. What's going on here? <laughs> Plot. Finally. Storyline. Whatever you want to call it. Dialogue. All that kind of crap. This is the weakest bit, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of big hand waves going on. I mean, I like the idea. I like the twist at the end. There's some cute concepts. But it's been a bit dashed off, like it's just not been thought through fully. And they Mm. don't bother trying to explain. I would agree. But I'm in a generous mood, so I'm going to give it six. Yeah. I can feel you're going lower than me. No, you know, well, I'll give it a 5.5 just to be slightly different. Whoa. Okay, final score for me is an eight, which is Gestalt up. Yeah. I'd agree it's better than it has any right to be, but I don't think it's quite that good, so I'll go seven. Sounds like a recommend, whatever. It is a recommend, yeah, but watch it guardedly and know that you won't be totally persuaded by it. But it's, you know... I'd tell you, the only thing is, it's maybe a bit slow, isn't it? There's a lot of time of him spent either on crutches yeah, or but, in bed. <laughs> but 
It's. I think it's. It's not referencing, but it's invoking the road trip, isn't it? There's lots of different movie genres. Yeah. And the late seventies ones where you're being chased by a truck. Oh yeah. The, the yeah. what's that called? It's you know, I, I think it's called the. It's like it's a it's a juggernaut with no driver. Kind Steven of thing. Spielberg like, movie, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, and then there's kind of like you know Alfred Hitchcock. What's it called? Psycho. Is it Psycho? There's kind of like you know abandoned hotels, middle of the desert kind of stuff going on. So there's this. I mean, I think it it pulls all that in. So I don't mind it being so slow because it is quite atmospheric in many ways. Uh, why was it called the Signal though? Was the Signal supposed to be what they were following Nomad with? I don't know. And why is the cover art lots of people in astronaut, astronaut <laughs> yeah, space? Exactly. Suits? It has no what place in the movie on? itself. Yeah. Bit misleading. A mystery. Paul, what are we going to watch next week? Well, how's about uh, two choices? Same movie. Don't know what you think. Suspiria from two thousand and eighteen uh, with Tilda Suspiria. Swinton. With Tilda Swinton. Uh, so you know that one. But Suspiria from nineteen seventy-seven, the original movie. Paul, the answer here is clear because what? since we what? started, certainly since we started doing horror movies, I've done nothing but sing the praises of Tilda Swinton. So is that what you're going to choose? All the auguries have been pointing toward us watching Suspiria, which is a classic, well-regarded 1970s Italian horror movie. More than that, will it make Adam, our venerable listener, happy? Adam certainly recommended it as one of the key Italian there movies we go. to see. Yeah. Take that as an apology. Yes, it, that's right. It's our apology to Adam. Next week, gift Adam. it is Suspiria, 1977. <laughs> Until then... So... With no further ado, the music in three, three two, two, one. one. Thank you.